0: Manufacturing is essential to innovation. And I think as manufacturing evolves, so will the pace of innovation. And as innovation gets faster and faster and faster, and we unlock new things, society becomes such an exciting place to be. Welcome to Manufacturing
1: Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Happy. Happy. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics, and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now, your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up? It's episode 120. This week, we're talking about machine shops, reshoring, and addressing the management gap. Our guest this week is Jason T. Ray, co-founder and CEO of Paperless Parts, a company that has really revolutionized and accelerated the quoting process for machine shops. Now, Jason first appeared on this show like way back in episode 26 almost 100 interviews and over two years later he's back for more i'll be upfront and say that episode 26 isn't really a prerequisite for listening to this episode but if you want to hear his story how his navy background inspired him to go into manufacturing and tons of insights around entrepreneurship and mitigating risk i would go back and check that one out manufacturinghappyhour.com 26 will get you right there But if you just wanna dive in with us today, you'll have no problem following along. So with that, here are three things you can expect from this episode. First, Jason will give us a refresh on paperless parts before we discuss entrepreneurship and driving manufacturing back to the United States. Second, we discuss the current state of the manufacturing tech stack, as Jason calls it, and how perceptions are changing around certain technologies that were once considered a risk. We actually talk about risk quite a bit in this episode in the context of supply chain. Finally, Jason shares some pretty candid thoughts around the skills gap and the labor shortage in manufacturing before discussing how the manufacturing industry and paperless parts have changed over the past two years. As always, if you want to learn more, if you want to connect with Jason or access any of the resources we mentioned in this episode, there are a couple. You can do that at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 120. Also, if you want to connect with people like Jason or a bigger community of manufacturing leaders, well, you should be part of the Manufacturing Happy Hour Industry community. That group lives on LinkedIn. You can get there simply by typing in manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community we have discussions about the episodes there it's an opportunity to build relationships with other people in the manufacturing industry there are over 600 leaders there and i'd highly encourage you to join us shoot me a message on linkedin go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community let me know that you'll want to join and we'll get you right in now that we got the announcements out of the way it's time to head back to boston to meet up with jason ray So Jason, welcome back to the show. It's been over two years and I think like 95 something episodes, not including bonus episodes as well. So it's been quite the minute. It's great to have you back.
0: Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's awesome to be here.
1: And uh, I've got a bit of an anecdote to start our episode with. Do you remember... When we first recorded, where you recommended that we'd be, if we were having this conversation in person, the bar in Boston, I know the answer, but I want to see if you remember it.
0: I'm going to guess it was the Tip Tap Room in Boston.
1: Is that, uh, am I close? That's the one. That's the one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I still live right next door. It's a very easy crawl back to the apartment. So um, it's fantastic. My, my wife and I, it's, it's like our local kitchen. Any anytime like do you feel like it, dinner cooking eh, let's let's walk over to tip tap it's great so you do we still have to do it we got to do it
1: we do we do but since this is round two you got to pick a different bar this time so say we've we finished our food and drinks at the tip tap room and we're we're wandering ab- around boston or we're hopping in a Lyft or an uber if you need to need to go somewhere else where where would we be having round two today
0: Oh, that's a really tough question. I do not frequent bars that often, unfortunately. <laughs> I am uh, I'm getting older. Let me think of a good place. You know, there's there's a restaurant called alcove right around the corner from the office. Really solid bar, good mixed drinks, solid spot as well. So I, I think I would probably lean in that direction.
1: All right. All right. Let's say we're hanging out at Alcove then. And, you know, I'm sure some people listening to this podcast tuned in a long time ago. In fact, before, you know, I'm going to recommend people go back and listen to that episode. But nevertheless, for someone that's just getting to know you, let's say you're having a drink with them at Alcove, right? How do you describe what paperless parts does as if you're having a beverage with someone in Boston?
0: Yeah, that's, um, it's a great question. And it's evolved quite a bit over the years. Um, It's the funny aspect of it is it took me very long time to be able to say it in a concise way. So let's let's give this a shot. We're a platform that helps job shops and contract manufacturers quote faster, quote more efficiently, improve their front office, that whole operation, and they're going to win more work. They're going to increase their margins as a result. It is alleviating a key bottleneck that we find in the, the growth of most shops is the estimating position. Because estimating can put handcuffs on you if you are not quoting high enough, if you're losing on jobs, it makes it hard to reinvest in your business, it makes it hard to make payroll. If you're taking on bad work, if you're not doing triage well on the RFQs you get, you're gonna waste a lot of time quoting jobs that you shouldn't even be working on. So we solve all of those problems, which today are often solved by shop owners, and are often solved by really brute force and a lot of years of experience. So I wouldn't say our mission is to replace the really smart people in job shops and contract manufacturers, but it's it's more to it's a better engine for your car. So if you can drive 100 miles an hour with paperless parts, you'll go 150.
1: I remember something from our last conversation that you said as well that really stuck out around it. It's that quoting is often the first impression people have of your business in this day and age, yeah. right? They're they're no longer going around to tour the local shops and things like that, right? They're not seeing your showroom right up front. Quoting is the first impression, right? And and I love the way you describe it where it's like, hey, if you can quote faster and more efficiently, you're going to win more work, right? So. I'm looking forward to getting a more thorough update around paperless parts a little bit later in this interview. But, uh, you know, last last time we talked a lot about job shop owners kind of the the current state where they are with technology and and one thing that stuck out there was you referred to job shop owners as, as entrepreneurs right and they absolutely are right you're running a business you're an entrepreneur whether you're the person that started the company long ago or you're a son a daughter someone that inherited the inherited the business from a family member right and and one of the big topics i want to cover today and i'm going to leave it a bit open ended when i start this is how are entrepreneurs driving manufacturing back to the u.s i know this is a big focus of yours so i'd love to hear your thoughts on that
0: no i think uh, going back to the very beginning of paperless parts the mission was to make sure that the awesome capabilities that we have in this country and the capacity that we have can be accessed by companies that want to do work with the shops it is impossible to work with a shop that will not respond to requests for quotes because they're too busy. I mean, it's just like a fundamental does not exist. That shop might as well not be on the map. And the thing that I still find really interesting is when you go out and you send an RFQ out, shops outside of this country will actually respond faster than shops in the country. It's really kind of wild. And it, they're still very hungry for the work. But I think what's bringing a lot of manufacturing back to the U.S. is the understanding of opportunity cost. So I, I think you try to break this down in the simplest way possible. Buyers, their jobs are to mitigate risk. By making sure they choose good sources of supply and ensure that they're on some kind of a budget and on budget used to mean finding the lowest possible price and driving the best possible deal. And so what they would do is they would go out and they would source parts in the U.S. or they would source parts abroad based on where they could get the cheapest price. And now there's this concept called total ownership cost. And it's like, okay, well, it includes shipping, it includes storage, it includes everything else associated with buying those parts. It's the all-in cost. Now, as you move forward, and we actually just went through massive supply chain disruption, you have to look at the risk. And the risk is where it becomes really big factor. If I risk having my production line down because I don't get parts in time, because there are a lot of pieces in the actual transportation logistics that could slow it down, or there's a lot of factors from uh, COVID, zero COVID policy in China, that That all increases the weight on that side of the equation to a point of where it almost doesn't make sense to go save a buck apart taking it outside of the country. So I think a lot of businesses are driving work back to the US. but I think in manufacturing, a lot of entrepreneurs are getting a heck of a lot easier to work with, and they're hungry for work. We see it. You know one of the thing that we one of the things we offer to our customers is marketing solutions. Because what we found is a lot of folks that go and start job shops, they're you know they're not marketers. That's not that's just not how they run business. And then what we said is, all right, well, we can help you with that. We're finding more and more of our customers wanting to do that with us and wanting to take that on because they recognize they can go out and they can stand taller than everybody else. And I think it's it's this adoption of technology and desire to grow. That is really bringing a lot of work back to the country, which is awesome.
1: Yeah, I want to get actionable for the folks listening out there? Because you've talked quite about risk before, and I I completely agree. I think our audience completely agrees, right? It's about that total cost of ownership, total cost of purchase, right? And, And mitigating that risk. So the supply chain issues weren't nearly what they were like almost two and a half years ago when we recorded our first episode. So what are the actions that you recommend to job shop owners or what are the things to look at that they might not be looking at? when they're trying to mitigate that risk in the purchasing process or when they're evaluating their suppliers?
0: Well, I mean, I think from a job shop perspective, our customers are generally working local. So they're evaluating local suppliers, local finishing shops, local material providers. Where it starts to get a little bit more tricky is in evaluating hardware inserts to the jobs. So one of the things that we did over the last couple of years is we partnered with Penn Engineering. So Penn is the world's largest provider of clinch fasteners that go into most sheet metal fabricated components. So anytime you're building an assembly, lot, a very, very good chance that there are PEM fasteners in there. And one of the things we realized, and Penn, it's, it's amazing to see an 80 industri- year old industrial company really, really eager to invest in new technology and drive partnerships with five year old, six year old startups really really awesome to see that. Well, they wanted to make sure they were providing heads up display to the end users of their product. Now Penn sells through distributors, so DB Roberts and Sweco, these these companies are distributing. So they have the relationships with the customers. But Penn said, "You know what? We want to we're going to go above and beyond. We want to make sure that all sheet metal fabrication shops have access to real-time pricing and availability from our distributors." huge, huge. And that's that's something that I think we've come to realize over the last couple of years that's going on in the industrial supply chain in this country. Effectively, you will be a designer sitting somewhere. So let's start right at the design process. And we will design this really complex component. And we'll design it using the most powerful software available in the industry. We'll run analysis on it. We'll try to make it lighter. We'll try to make it really efficient. We'll try to make it easy to install and set up. We'll do all these things to design this this assembly. And then we take those really high fidelity files and we export them as PDFs or universal step files. So immediately you have a drop in fidelity. And this this is what we've realized. And this is the problem that we're going to go and solve at every step of the supply chain, the fidelity declines further and further and further. So when it's being designed, it's an incredible highest level fidelity. When it moves to our customers, it drops. When our customers go to their finishing shops, it drops. When our customers go out to their material providers, it drops. When our customers go out to their hardware providers, it drops. And it's down to a point of where they're getting a single line of text. And so that makes it really hard to be a collaborative, supportive supply chain. So what we're doing is we're making it a lot easier to collaborate across the supply chain in the highest fidelity level file format possible and do it in a way that's really secure.
1: Yeah, one thing that stuck out from our initial conversation was you're talking about how we have all this power in these CAD files, and yet we export them to a PDF and they become like a fraction of their usefulness from what they were before right you go from 3D really being able to see it and then immediately down to 2D and you just kind of describe how it just gets worse and worse from there and and this is something i think is a good segue into the next next question i have is what is the current state of the manufacturing tech stack right this is an area i'm really excited to get into today because you know we talked before I mean, two years ago, people were still hesitant around the cloud. I'm interested to hear your thoughts around that. But before we get into those details, I'll let you take it from here. I
0: think it's evolving, which is great. Um, We had IMTS this year. It was amazing. I mean, we did 500 demos in five days. It was incredible at IMTS. The volume of traffic to the booth looking for new technology looking to be able to enhance and and grow their businesses. It was just awesome. When you look at that, I I think a couple things really stood out to me. IMTS, they put software in one place and that show hall was packed the whole time. So that tells me that manufacturers aren't just showing up there to look at the machines and buy equipment, but that they're actively coming out and looking for software solutions to solve problems in their business. And I think that's a really fundamental change for the way problems get solved in manufacturing. You know, as m- my understanding is that when a problem comes up, it's often solved with a process, a well-documented process. Do it this way, this way, this way. You'll get the same result every time. And a lot of our customers, when before they were using paperless parts, the way they solve problems in their business was to, and drive repeatability was put processes in place. Now, younger generations digital native generations they solve problems with software right we have a problem in our business people are like oh there's got to be a software solution for that oh i bet there's a solution that makes it easier to do that like we think software first i think you're starting to see the industry think software first and part of that i think is and this is not everyone but it is definitely shifted in the perception of the cloud I, a lot of a lot of manufacturers are starting to think if I'm not in the cloud, I'm actually behind. Whereas they used to think the cloud is scary, it's not secure, it's risky for me to be there. I think the world has changed quite a bit, and I think COVID really accelerated that for
1: people. Yeah, I think that IMTS example is a great point. Was it the East Hall, like closest to the lake where everyone was hanging oh, out? Yeah, view
0: was, <laughs> was nicest view you could ask for. It was awesome.
1: The only thing I'm upset about now is that I didn't come by and say hi while I was there for uh, the two and a half days that I was kicking around there. Well, I have a question. How did you drive traffic to your booth there, right? Were people seeking out paperless paperless parts or were you part of the tour? I think there's always something to be said around your strategy at a trade show for getting that type of attention.
0: Yeah. I, I was very impressed to see how many people were just seeking out the company. And that, that, is a huge pat on the back to our marketing team, to our content teams, to podcasts like this. Um, it's it's really awesome for me to hear that, oh, you guys are everywhere. Oh yeah, we hear about paperless parts from everybody. Oh, you know, our, our buyers recommended we use paperless parts so that we can return quotes faster. So it's starting to become where when we call into a shop and we say, hey, we're calling for paperless parts, it used to be like paperless. What? Who? Xerox? Like, who are you calling from? Now, now most folks have heard the name before and, and we're starting to build that reputation. It, it it feels good. Feels like feels like we're actually moving the needle.
1: Yeah. So I have a question then. So you're, you mentioned that people are seeking you out at trade shows. They're thinking software first sometimes. Right. How are you seeing this impact? job shops and gener- generational businesses today in our current state
0: when you say this do you mean paperless parts or do you mean just the evolution of technology
1: more so the evolution of technology but if you want to go specifically to paperless parts as well as general i'm open to that too
0: let's talk tech first so tech in general shops when shops are adopting new technologies they start to get more profitable and when they get more profitable they have more cash to reinvest in their business Most shops that are adopting new technology are doing so because they want to grow, which means that cash is immediately going to get funneled into additional investments, more machines, more space, more people, more training. And that, in general, rises the tide of the industry dramatically. So when the industry gets more profitable, it gets better. It just it really, really does. And I I think that's something that a lot of manufacturing has been very much a race to the bottom getting beat up by buyers. Well, how do I see, How do I shave a buck? You've been making this for a year. Why can't you make it faster? Why can't you make it cheaper? And the reality is it's, it's a very short-sighted way to manage your supply chain. All the OEMs that beat up their suppliers and to try to squeeze them, and I'm not saying that's all OEMs. I think there's some OEMs that are actually very collaborative with their supply chains. But the ones that beat up their supply base All they're doing is setting those companies on a path to obsolescence. Manufacturing is a highly capital intensive industry. It just is. And if you're going to stay ahead of that curve and you're going to be a leading edge shop, you have to have profits to reinvest in capital equipment. You got to be able to buy new equipment. You got to be able to buy software. You got to be able to add floor space. You have to be able to train people and attract really good talent. That's the other thing I want to point to. What we're seeing when our shops kind of flip the switch on this, they, they go into this rather than it being in a, you know, a um, like an expense mindset, they go into an investment mindset where they look at dollars out as investments. Immediately you start to see this shift in the type of team members they're attracting. The age, the capabilities, the desires. I mean, I, I look at, you know, I just did a podcast with a few of our customers and they have, a, they have awesome apprenticeship programs. They have young people in their shop all the time. They're doing tours and, you know, it's like they're, they're not bashful about walking a group of high school students through their shop. They're proud of it. You know, it's, I, I think, I think, um, you know, Steve Tomasi and Mike Tomasi, they, these guys always say, you know, manufacturing is not this like dirty, grimy, gross, not safe place. They don't it's, it's it's safe it's a secure job it's a place where you can have a huge impact it's it's awesome and it's and it's becoming a very sexy industry because the equipment that, they, that you're using is just like running a robot.
1: Well, I want to ask you a bit more about the people side of things, right? I'm glad that you said what you said and that, hey, when you start looking at dollars out as investment, you start attracting, you know, younger talent, more talent, et cetera. So what what is the vibe of the talent pool you're seeing right now? We know there's a labor skills gap right now. We know people are hard to come by, but how are you seeing job shops who adopt technology attracting more people? And if you have a story that can back it up even better-
0: So I think there's a couple things here. Uh, This may be controversial, so I'll just say it and then we'll just leave it at that. But we spend a lot of time in the industry screaming about a skills gap. And I think when you've been talking about a problem for decades, you need to look at where the real problem is. And it starts with looking in the mirror. And a lot of people aren't going to like to hear that. We don't talk in manufacturing about a management gap. We don't talk about it. Attitude reflects leadership. If you have people that are showing up for jobs and walking out the next day, or you have people that don't show up on their first day of work, or you have people that quit after their first month, there's only so much. It can happen once. Okay, maybe it was that person. It happens two or three times. You kind of have to start to look at what are the other elements within your control? It's not like every young person is lazy. It's not like, you know, everybody's out there to like make a buck and do nothing. That's not true. I I think we have to talk about management and the ability to manage really well. And I know how hard this is. I mean, we literally have added, we've almost tripled the size of the company in 12 months. It's so painful. And it's so hard to do a good job taking care of everybody and making sure that you are actively coaching and managing and leading people. And young people want that. They they absolutely do. They want to grow. They want to evolve in their roles. They also want to be treated fairly. And so what I'm seeing is the shops that do it right, like uh, Grady Cope at Riata, Ashley Worrell at Area Tool, Hernan Ricarte Carte Precision. These shops, they are awesome. Justin at fo- Justin Quinn at Focused on Machining. I can, I mean, I, I, I name a bunch of them. Bill Berrien at Pindell Precision. I mean, these, these shops, they focus on taking care of their employees. Steve Tomasi at Boston Centerless. I mean, these guys, they are 100% focused on employee development. It's huge. They go out, they actively recruit. They're active in their local networks and their local schools and they they're not they're not saying, oh, my gosh, there's a skills gap. Like, no, they, they find a way to fix a problem. And I think, I think the thing that I see that is very different between some shop owners and others is it, they're active, active management rather than passive management. There's a plan there. When someone joins your team, how do they get onboarded? How do they get up to speed? You can't just expect someone to step into your little do- I feel this right now. So I did I did a bad job at this. i I'll 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 like I'll be the first to fall on the sword as a manager. It's really really hard. But when you bring people into your business and you've got five or six people, it's really easy because all those people can be heroes. And they can learn all the nuances of how you run your business and all the ways that you've kind of like the hacks you've put in place for how you manage your shared drive and where you store files and like what specific customers need, all the things that people call tribal knowledge today. But then when you go from 10 to 20 and 20 to 30 and 30 to 50 and 50 to 100, that starts to get really freaking hard. And it happens really fast. And before you know it, you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm the only person that really understands why we do this today. Because I haven't done a good enough job communicating with my team the, the, the reason, the why behind it. And it takes a lot of effort. So if you're going to grow your business, and you're going to attract really good talent. You got to set your business up to grow. And I I, I don't know. I, I just I'm not a big fan of of just pointing to a problem. I think the problem is absolutely solvable. They're great jobs. Really great jobs. I'll give you another example. We have a customer who is now running um, 312s. 312s. That's three 12-hour shifts. You work three days and you get paid a 40-hour week. It's awesome. I mean, it's, it's absolutely incredible. And you get people that are like, Sure, I'll work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I'll take the rest of the week off or I'll go work another job or I'll do overtime one other day. But like, it's meeting people where they are and solving a problem. That's huge. It's brilliant. It's just so smart. I I mean, so many of the shops are getting really creative on how they do split shifts, on how they do 410s or 312s and how they take care of people. It's great. And the level of efficiency the handoff that happens between shifts is generally an inefficient process. So if you can keep someone in the productivity zone for 12 hours, you're, you're gaining that boost. that's totally worth the 10% more that you're going to pay them than the four hours they don't work. And so it's just understanding all these different levers you can pull as a shop to attract talent. It's, I think it's so cool.
1: I think I love what you said. I don't think what you said like five minutes ago is controversial at all, right? You got to look in the mirror. There is a management gap, a leadership gap out there, we'll say, right? And yeah, I, I, I've talked with colleagues before and co-hosts and things like that just saying, you know, we've been talking about the skills gap as an issue a lot on this show, right? Like we know it's a problem now. Why don't we go solve it, right? And people have had some great advice around it. Yours is top of the list for sure. That's That's going to be tough to top, but I've got a few more questions for you. We've, we've talked about agility and speed before. That was important two years ago. How are ability, agility and speed key to the survival of manufacturing companies?
0: I think both of those things come back to systems. So if you put really good systems and really good processes in place in your business, you will have agility and speed. Because it will allow you to switch jobs, switch what you're making, move fast, pivot, because everybody's going to be running the same process and rowing the boat together. You know, like we joke around here. We're like, okay, so today we're 150 people and we're all in our own little boats and we're all kind of rowing. And the goal is to try to get everybody in the same boat. And then the goal is to get everybody rowing the boat on the same cadence so the boat goes in the right direction. And that's like, that's, that is the ability, that is agile. That's agility and speed. That, that gives you speed. It gives you a lot of control. It's easy to turn a boat when everybody is rowing together. Like they say, oh, you know, as the bigger the organization gets, the harder it is to pivot. No, 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 it's not. I'm sure huge organizations. Yes. But if everyone on your team is rowing together, one or two strokes on one side of a boat is going to turn it regardless of the size. It's going to get going. You got a lot of horsepower behind the change, and so I think I think there's. I still think it's critically important that we build with the idea of agility. Um, I, I, just because we don't we don't really know what's on the road on the horizon from an economic perspective, it's a little bit hot and cold right now. I think you're you see some industries that are getting beat up like tech. You see other industries that are actually just blowing it out of the water, doing fine. You know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, great numbers, fairly fairly substantial revenue days for a lot of big companies out there. But you're also seeing tens of thousands of people get laid off. I mean, the layoffs across the board were just huge this past week. You know, and I think that might be a natural correction, but your ability and speed in manufacturing and your agility, it allows you to, react quickly when the market or the industry you're serving may, may experience a change.
1: I was going to say earlier, not, not too long ago in the interview, you mentioned a full list of people that are running great companies right now in this space. What's a characteristic of leaders that you see that are the ones that are willing to make change, for example? Um, For the folks out there that are trying to think, what is it going to take for me to drive change in my organization as well?
0: I I think leaders communicate really well. Part of being a leader and driving change management is getting every, it's really hard to walk into a group of people and say, we're going to go do it this way, do it this way. And I think that that's the, that's the, that's the MO right now. It's like, no, adopt this software, use this, make it, make the part this way. And that's, That's like the, that's like the baseline. It really doesn't take any energy to say that where it takes a lot of energy is to sit down and to coach someone and explain, look, I'm going to walk you through exactly why we're going to go try this. And it's okay if this doesn't work because we have to keep trying things to improve. No, one's going to get yelled at, we're not going to eat any lunch, but we're going to step off together and we're going to go try it. And here's why that should make an impact on our business. And that's profit. I think a lot of shop owners, if there's a weird relationship with profit and with employees knowing that the company is profitable. This is like really weird relationship. It's like, ooh, I don't want anybody to know how much I got paid for this part. It's like, wait a second. Every single employee at the company should want the business to be as profitable as possible because then you're going to be reinvesting in new things. You're going to be reinvesting in new equipment, better work experience, training, better opportunities, better benefits. I mean, as long as you are the type of person who takes care of your team, which I I genuinely believe that whether it comes out this way or not, I genuinely believe that entrepreneurs in this space care about their teams. They really do. They view their shop as a family. I see it so much on the holidays, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, 4th of July. Everyone's doing cookouts for their shops. They're coming in. They're making food. They're getting everybody around the table. So I genuinely believe they care about these folks. So making money is the single best way you can take care of your team. It
1: really is. How many machine shops, because I love that idea, how many machine shops are being that transparent with their pricing, profitability, et cetera? I mean, is that more the exception than the rule? Is it trending in a new direction? What do you see, Jason?
0: I I think it's starting to come about. A lot of shop owners are asking, how do I drive alignment? How do we get people to want to win? And part of alignment is sharing in the profit. So, you're seeing ESOPs, so employee stock ownership programs where the employees own a piece of the business. That's becoming a model. You're starting to see a lot more profit share where they've got TVs up in the shop and they're showing, hey, this is where this is the profit share pool. There's a big number, and everybody in the shop knows what percent of that number they get based on their contribution to the business. Sometimes it's the number of hours you work, sometimes it's the number of years you've been there, sometimes it's you know, the amount of revenue you've generated from the parts you've made because you're making more complex parts. Like you can make these models really sophisticated. But at the end of the day, everyone is looking at that number. And as that number grows and grows, it is pointing to some outcome for those people. I get a little extra bonus at the end of the year. I know I can move that decimal point a couple places and it's going to be a little extra money. Like something something I love about um, Ashley area tool is she actually they give holiday bonuses but she gives them early before the holiday because you're not gonna be able to spend your holiday bonus like you don't get the benefit of that so she does it early like she'll probably be giving them out this week i don't want to speak for her but honestly (laughs) it's, it's trying to make sure that she's taking really good care of her team and i i love that i i think there's something really really valuable to that um yeah, it's I think it's changing. And and I, I don't want to say like anything's all bad. I think I think the industry is moving in a really phenomenal and a really exciting direction. And the reason I like that is because I think we live in a physical world. I think we always will. Like we're talking digitally right now, and that's great. And there's, you know, someday there'll be a metaverse and whatever, right? But at the end of the day, we live in a very physical world. We drive in cars, we ride in airplanes, we travel, we are in buildings, we're, we are all kinds of hardware around us. Manufacturing is essential to innovation. And I think as manufacturing evolves, so will the pace of innovation. And as innovation gets faster and faster and faster and we unlock new things, society becomes such an exciting place to be.
1: So I've got a couple Wrap up questions here as we're getting to the end, I want to hear, you know, what's new with paperless parts and things you know, machine shop owners need to be preparing for. But as we kind of wrap up the core part of the interview, is there anything you wish I would have asked you or any final advice you want to leave the the manufacturing leaders with?
0: You know, I, I think the only thing I would say, and, and this is just because it's so much on my radar, is I would just point out that, you know, if you if you're in manufacturing in the US, there's a good chance that you are You are working on something defense-related. We have an enormous defense budget in this country. More than 50% of our customers are aerospace and defense. And so I think the thing I want to point out, and I just want to make sure people understand this, the, the world is going to change May of next year where it's going to be contractually binding. It's no longer self-certification. It's going to be contractually binding that you are certified for the cybersecurity maturity model. I think as the world moves more digital and as we get more innovation and as we move faster, we also have to be aware of the risks that come along with that. And I think these guardrails that are being put in place, while potentially painful, it is necessary for our national defense and i do think that it will continue to increase our ability as a country to use technology to differentiate our security posture against other countries if we're leaking all of our jet designs and all of our files out to other countries we have no we have no key advantage and i think it's up to the industrial base to protect that and i think as as we come into this next year. I really do think it should be front of shops' minds. We do cybersecurity training every single month at Paperless Parts. We're, you know, like too, it's. Sometimes it's really annoying, but we're constantly driving towards that. So I, I just think I think that's a really important thing for shops to start thinking about. If they're not already,
1: and I'm glad you brought that up. I'll put a link to that, like in the show notes. Show notes, just so people can make sure they're they're reading up on the news. Obviously, how to connect with with you and your team as well. You know, it's it's a nice segue that you brought up the defense industry as well, because when we first talked. You you shared a lot of your story about when you were in the Navy and you were sourcing parts and you couldn't find the parts that you needed, right? That was a big motivation for the way your career trajectory has gone. And the way you phrased it was you wanted to make manufacturing more accessible, right? You wanted to give people the access to the parts they needed. So I guess my question is, hey, it's been over two years since we've talked. Has that mission evolved? Are you on track to continuing to get that mission? And, you know, what's new with paperless parts, right? I'd love to hear the update.
0: Yeah, I think we're making an impact. Um, still very small. I mean, there's 35,000 job shop contract manufacturers in the US. So having 500 of them, it's, you know, you just kind of got the tip of the iceberg. But our rate of adding new customers to the platform and getting them onboarded and getting them successful is accelerating dramatically. And that that's what excites me. I mean, we'll probably triple our customer base next year. And so, what that's doing is it's increasing the level of impact we can have. I think that means the most to me is continuing to hear the stories from our customers that they're able to pay for their kids to go to college, that they're able to put food on the table, that they're able to give their employees bonuses and raises, that they're growing even faster than they ever thought they could. Things like that, it, it makes it worth it. it, makes it like meaningful. I think there's a lot of software companies that make software and software for software for software. It's like, you know, like no, nobody goes home and is like, man, I'm so glad I'm home right now and not quoting because of this software. You know, like it's, that's, that's, that's what our customers are saying. Very rarely is there another software solution where they're, they're at home actually thinking about the fact that they're there because of it. And, and I, I, I like that. I like giving time back to people. I think that's really important. I, would, I wouldn't say we've achieved our mission. I don't know that it'll necessarily ever be done because that would mean we kind of rest on our laurels. Um, but I do think the company's evolving. As I said, we've got 150 people now, the customer base is growing dramatically. We've been investing in all sorts of automation to make it faster and better. We work really closely with our customers. We're investing really heavily in cybersecurity. Um, that's super important. We got to make sure that we're taking good care of our customers. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a continuous feedback loop. And the thing that I love the most is as we're attracting new employees to paperless parts, being able to say to them, like our customers will go visit our customers whenever you want. Like, it's awesome. We have people in shops every single day and that's, that's just really kind of cool.
1: I love it. Well, Hey, what is, what is the best way to connect with you and paperless parts so we can keep following you on this journey?
0: LinkedIn is where, where we live. So follow us on LinkedIn. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Feel free. You can send me an email, Jason at paperlessparts.com. We're, we're here. We'd love to help.
1: And I'll make sure to link up to you and your crew in the show notes over at manufacturinghappyhour.com. And the last thing I'll say is let's not wait two years to have our rendezvous at the tip tap room. (laughs) Let's do it.
0: (laughs) Let's do it. I can't believe I missed you at IMTS. We'll have to, we got to coordinate next time.
1: Well, manufacturing happy hour is doing a better job of hosting literal happy hours at these events. So I'll need to make sure you're coming to the next one when we're in the same spot.
0: That sounds awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you.
1: Hey, thanks for listening. You know, it's pretty crazy thinking that some of these episodes that I recorded when the podcast first started are now like a hundred episodes in the rearview mirror. It was great having Jason back on the show. As always, if you want to connect with him if you want to learn more, go to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com/120. There you can find links to the Tip Tap Room, to Alcove, and most importantly, there's information on the CMMC program that if you're doing work for the Department of Defense by May 2023, you're going to need to have this cybersecurity certification in place for contracts. To learn more about that, again, all of that is over at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 120. Finally, if you want to connect with a group of manufacturing leaders like Jason, well hey, we want you to join the Manufacturing Happy Hour Industry Community on LinkedIn. Just go to manufacturinghappyhour.com/community. It'll take you straight to our private LinkedIn group. If you haven't connected with me on LinkedIn, shoot me a note, tell me you want to join the community and I will let you right into that group. We have discussions Every week, it's a great chance to connect with other leaders that are shaping the manufacturing industry, and we hope to see you there. ManufacturingHappyHour.com community. And with that, we are done. Stay innovative. Stay thirsty. We'll catch you again here next week. Cheers.
0: Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour, powered by the Industrial Network.